Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. And we're your hosts. I'm Greg Knott. And I'm Darren Laners. And tonight, we're glad to have with us a very special guest, Eric Marks. And Eric, give us some of your Masonic background and then couple that with your professional background because it'll put in context where we're going tonight. Sure, Greg. Thanks. And uh, it's great to be here with both of you. I think my Masonic path started long before I knew what uh, Masonry was. And I'll come back to that. But officially, I was entered in early 2017 and then raised by May by my younger brother, who was then Master of Alpha Lodge in Framingham, Massachusetts. And I said I'd come back to why I think it, Masonry is part of my life earlier, was that the night after my raising, we were going through the ritual, and I, of course I won't say any of it here, but, but my brother said a particular phrase about where I might have first been made a Mason, and and it really resonated with me. Much earlier in my life, my uh, my mother was raised in a, a Lutheran household, my father in a Jewish household, and I was raised in one where religion as such was not really discussed much. I spent part of my growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and many of my friends were Mormon. So my upbringing, I, I didn't feel like uh, I had one particular religion. And it always perturbed me that each religion would say that they were the one. So when Masonry came into my life, and there was a, a specific place where all of us could get together, and we wouldn't talk about religion, but we would acknowledge that we come from lots of different places that felt like home. It was a place where I could discuss things that matter to me deeply and hear people who I know have a different perspective and hear it from their point of view. So I'm, I'm very glad to be here. It does feel like home of sorts. And I, I don't have any Masonic credentials to speak of other than being a brother. I belong to the Valley of Boston and also I'm a, a plural or dual membership with the Valley of Guthrie because I'm a member of the uh, Academy of Reflection, which is an appendant body to the Valley of Guthrie. So I have a, a younger sibling who has schizophrenia, and that, in an indirect way, put me on the path to working in the field of mental health. I was playing in a rock band in Boston, and the singer of the band was the comptroller for a mental health uh, organization. And when I was changing jobs, the singer said, well, we have a position for a, a work supervisor, and since you have some experience with mental health issues in a very personal way, why don't you apply? And I spoke with Big Tony uh, for about 20 minutes, and he gave me the job. I don't think there was any paperwork involved. Anyway, and that began my, my mental health career, and within the first six months of that, I realized that whatever happened with music, which not much happened, this is what I wanted to do. I really wanted to work with people. And uh, so from there, I worked in residential programs. I've worked inpatient. I've worked outpatient. I directed a psych day treatment program for adults. That's a uh, a group program where adults with major mental illness come daily. We have groups all day long. People uh, sometimes have their medicines prescribed there as well. And then for the last uh, 13 years now, I've, along with having a private practice, uh, I've also worked in college mental health. I appreciate you giving us that context. And you've gone from the personal and, and made that connection as to how you entered up till really the present. Darren and I both work at a major university, and we just this week we have talked in the groups I've been in. Uh, we have we run a hospital amongst other things, and I've asked about the the stress levels of the frontline staff, and 
this kind of leads into my first question. Generally, when we define mental well-being, what does that mean? It's a really good question because I think the answer is quite varied. It's a wide answer. So part of it is depending on how you look at the question. You can look at it from the individual's level. Do I or do I not feel okay? And then you could look at it from people around them. Do they or do they not look okay? Are they acting or not acting okay? And then you could get into a you know, quote-unquote professional distinctions and is there an, an actual disorder which, to be honest, even though I have to use diagnoses in my day-to-day -day work when insurance is involved, that's the least important part to me. Yes, it, it's helpful in terms of categories and thinking about how do I communicate with another part of a treatment team, but ultimately the person's experience is what guides what we do, what I do. So going back to the individual in their context, most of us know when we're off in some way. We may not know why we're off, but something is telling us either internally or we're getting feedback from our spouse or friends or brothers that something isn't going right. And I've felt that way. I have felt that way in the last few weeks just because of the, I think, the, the massive amount of change we all have experienced in a very short period of time where work life and every other thing we're involved in is shook up. And I have found those moments where I've been feeling stressful and then quickly recognize it. And for me, I get up and walk, take a quick walk and do some deep breathing and, and back we come and on I trek on forward. And so I, I like where you say that we self really identify our own stress levels. That seems very important because ultimately we're all responsible or most responsible for ourselves and no one I would think, and generally knows themselves better than yourself. And, of course, that's one of the, the sayings I've seen in Masonic ritual is know thyself. There's, if you've ever been to the, the house of the temple, you go upstairs to their grand meeting room, but outside is the Tyler's chair in marble, and on the back of that chair is that saying, know thyself. Ever since I've seen that saying, I have thought about that extensively, and I think that goes back to your point about to my question of what is mental well-being and I think for myself knowing that where I stand or where I'm at is a is a good place to start is it fair to say that if you know yourself and know where you're at in terms of stress or mental well-being or just kind of generally how you're doing and then you're relating to others in the workplace or your family or your friends if you have a good feeling of yourself does that help you gauge how others are does that make sense? It makes sense. I think you know it. The the more at ease is the phrase that came to mind, and it may not mean relaxed or comfortable, but I think it means clear, perhaps, or knowing. And so the more I know or you know, each of us knows where we are situated in a relationship or in our work, it gives us a better gauge about ourselves, but like you said, about others as well. This is one of the things about masonry that when we engage with it more and more fully and use the idea of looking for symbolism in images and the ritual, that it becomes a metaphor for looking more deeply into the symbols that our psyche sends us, symptoms that we have. And like you said, over the last few weeks, 
most, if not all of us have experienced some change. And for some people, it's, it's not a negative change. It's actually become easier that the world is interacting in a way that is essentially more effective and better for them. So for some people, they're, they're actually thriving where people like me are having a tougher time. I went from meeting with anywhere from four to 13 people a day, and I still meet with them, but not in person. And that was, that was a really tough change for me. And so I had to pay attention to energy level, my interest level. We have a sort of group check and we go around and say how we're doing. I said, I'm, I'm pretty grumpy. I don't really want to check in. I shut off my video, shut off my audio. I really did not want to interact with anybody. And that at that moment, I knew like I'm a circle with a point in the middle and I want to be on that point most of the time. I knew that I was not only off of that point, I was outside of the circle. And so using the tools to figure out, pay attention to how far am I off the dot? And the further off I am, the more simple, the more messages I'll get both from myself and from those around me. Eric, I think you bring up a great point about the point in a circle. And I think that's a great illusion, not only for behavior, but also mental health. And you saying that you're off center, I think illustrates that because the lesson is that you want to not kind of stray from that boundary, uh, have that boundary, but try to keep yourself as centered as possible. As we come out of this, especially for us that are, we're so used to meeting and having in-person social interaction, as we come out of this, how do we go back to that or how do we get back to that? And I think it's going to have to end up being phased and I think that we're probably looking at some sort of modification of some of the the ritual or the floor work that uh, we practice. If we want to continue to practice Freemasonry, I just think that we'll probably have to potentially enforce social distancing in the lodge or uh, have to to wear masks. So as we come out of out of this and kind of uh, phase back into normality, if you will, what potential challenges? Do you foresee, I guess, for not only us in the fraternity, but maybe society in general? Oh, wow, that's that's a big task. I was about to say, uh, damn it, Jim, I'm a therapist, not a sociologist. Um, it's, a, it's a really good question. I, I don't, honestly, I, I think I barely have an opinion. The first thing my mind goes to, though, is what do we take with us that we've learned during the social distancing that might inform how we practice differently. My guess would be that trying to stay mindful of how we keep each other safe will probably be challenging. Like Once we know we can get back into a room together, being mindful to, to keep that distance, if that's what's recommended. I think a lot of people are discovering things about themselves. I keep saying social distancing. It's not, I mean, social isolation. It's not isolation. It is distancing. But I think I feel it more like isolation. And so that's the, that's the phrase I use. And yet, as adaptive beings, we adapt to things constantly. So people are learning a lot about themselves just by having variables of their lives constrained in some way. Freemasonry is too. We can no longer meet. It's what we do. We meet with each other. So we're trying to find other ways. And so when the, the restrictions or the recommendations are lifted and come back together, I think it will be really important to, to try to hold on to what adaptations have we found that really work, that for some meetings, it's actually effective to meet once a week or once a month online. 
I um, went to a meeting this Monday of Lodge. It was not an official Lodge meeting, but it was a gathering. And I met three brothers I would never have met in Lodge because they no longer live in state. To me, that was incredibly valuable. It wasn't, it wasn't Lodge. It wasn't ritual. But I got to meet these three people that I would not otherwise have had the opportunity to meet, which is one of the things that I really cherish about the fraternity that I get to come in contact with men that I otherwise would never have met. And here, the same thing is replicated because of social distancing. So, in an odd way, I'm grateful. So I think that would be part of what I would hope for all of us, is that the things that we learn, the lessons, the new symbols that we've taken from this crisis, how do we bring those back in and not change what we've done in the past necessarily, but amplify it, extend it in some way? One of the symbols I think about often is the 24-inch gauge. To use that as a means for work, refreshment, and rest, and, and whatever. But it seems that during this time frame, it had caused me to recalibrate. As you said, Eric, get used to going on these fast paces. Every day is one meeting to the next to the next. And certainly I still have a lot of that via online. But at night, I have more free time than I've had in decades. And so it has caused me to think about that 24-inch gauge and maybe put it more back into balance to where it should be. And even back to the to the reference of the point within the circle, I think you can take that point within the circle and, and use that 24-inch gauge as to see maybe where you're at in that circle a little bit. I almost feel like at first I was tense when this started. And about three weeks in, you kind of get used to it. Then you kind of feel, I don't know, somewhat relaxed, or at least I have. When we come back to Lodge or come back to an office situation, is there a need for a ramp-up period? I mean, you talked a little bit about the need to get used to the the distancing and those kinds of things, which for me are almost different of how I've conducted life. I've always been around lots of people and lots of meetings and things like that, and it's almost counterintuitive to the way up to this point that I've conducted myself. But it seems there's a new norm coming, and if this had only been a month, I think it may have been tougher to go back. But now that we're in to the end of almost two months, it's really kind of put the distance of time between where I was and where I am. And I think it, for me, it may make that transition easier. But what should people think about as they, I, I guess for lack of a better word, return to somewhat of a normal routine? Or will there be such a thing after we're done? Uh, there's a lot to think about, Greg. The 24-inch gauge, I guess we could hold it as a really rigid idea that but maybe it has more to do with, as you're saying, uh, go around the wheel of the year or across the arc of our lives, that different situations will necessitate a different division of those categories that we're taught. And there's lots of songs, in particularly in, in reggae music, uh, about the bat race, and, uh, and certainly people write and talk about how society has wound up with the speed of internet, speed of business, get more done. And there is a, a slowing down 
I've, I've certainly felt it. About in the first two weeks, uh, I realized I was on my first responder adrenaline kick, and I thought, okay, I can manage this. And then, you know, turned from a, a sprint into a, felt like a sprinting marathon. I've had to change my pacing, and it has changed, and I am in some ways slower. I've slowed down. And so maybe things won't return to the normal, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe there are aspects that we needed to shed or take a gavel to, and maybe that's the pacing. Maybe we could bring back a different kind of pacing. And that was my experience of coming to Lodge anyway, is that it was a time to come back to this room with a group of people that I know to hold a reverence for each other and for life and to slow down. So maybe that's part of what we try to bring back. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but maybe that is, that's part of it. Yeah. No, I think you have. I, yeah, I think is, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated with time and time is how is almost slowed down. And I I like the fact that it's slowed down, or at least for me, maybe not for others. I've always said, and we've talked about it in other episodes we've had here, you know, after World War II or after the 60s or after the, you know, every 10 or 20 years, there's a major event in society that seems to shift us a little bit or sometimes a lot as a society. And I think we're going to feel that as we come out of this. And of course, the fraternity will be uh, no exception. But I just, uh, I'm, I'm actually optimistic. I think it'll, uh, I know it's been tough on a lot of people. But I think if you can take the time to reflect, I think we'll look at some of those fast paces we were on and wonder why. There was something in, in what you just said that made me remember that I am lucky. And I, I hear the, the gratitude. Maybe I'm maybe I'm doing what we call in therapy, projecting onto you what I want to hear. But I thought I heard in there was some gratitude. One of the things, Eric, that has been probably most difficult for me is that there's not a delineation between work and life. I know you've probably heard the term work-life balance used quite a bit in an industry, especially in, in higher stress or higher or faster paced uh, environments. Prior to working at the university, I worked for a telecommunications company and it was basically just a, a physical, mental drag on me. I, Greg knew me back when I worked at this place and I, I think, Greg, you probably have noticed a change in my personality between when I was at that place and, and where I am currently, uh, you know, from a mental or, or physical state. Currently, every day almost seems exactly the same. I kind of use the analogy to the movie Groundhog's Day. I'm sure you've probably seen it with Bill Murray where he basically gets the opportunity to relive uh, one particular day until he finds romance or true lover or what have you. Happiness, I guess, is, is probably the, the moral of that story. It's almost, to me, been like Groundhog's Day. So what type of things could I do or could brothers do to maybe try to break that monotony or break that pattern up. I was immediately going to go back to the uh, 24-inch gauge and, and talk about uh, you know, having a schedule and a routine, but, but that's kind of what you're saying is part of the problem, that everything is, or at least for, well, I'm a little lucky because I still go to my private practice office for some of my work, so that does break up the routine a little bit. 
So having a routine, I, I literally put on my, my shirt and ties if I'm going to the office to remind me I'm in work mode and I take them off uh, at the end of the, I'm doing air quotes with my hand, uh, at the end of the day, the work day. But then finding other ways to, to intentionally mark time. And I think where most of us are now in one place doing both our work and our living, our socializing with family if we have one, or meeting with friends online, being very deliberate about setting aside time for different activity. I may get some of the words wrong here, but years ago I went to a bat mitzvah, a family member of mine, and the rabbi spoke about the word, the root word is kadosh, uh, and I may get that wrong, and I probably should have checked in with my cousin first before using it. But the idea is to set aside, the, in, in the setting aside of time and space, we, we can make it sacred. And maybe people aren't used to doing that outside of church or synagogue or temple. But being very intentional to set aside time, whether it's for reading. I mean, I don't mean spiritual text necessarily, although it could be that. But just reading. Uh, if you play music, play music. Do something creative, learn something new. So breaking it up, <laughs> gaveling it, gaveling your schedule a little, but very intentionally, like you're sculpting a new schedule. Uh, and I would literally write it in, type it in, pen it in. A stencil, you know, get out, get out the old uh, 1980s, whatever the uh, office supply store was there, and can of spray paint. But I think being very intentional about putting things into your schedule that, you know, that work with social distancing, that uh, I still go outside. I, I try to go outside every day in a thoughtful way, but I, I need that. I need to be outside for some amount of, of my day. Otherwise, I don't feel right. So I think it is keeping your routine, but as part of that, it might even be building in some times that are more spontaneous. Like during these two hours, we, whether that's meeting with people online, I know a lot of people are, are quote unquote, venturing out and creating coffee dates or even playing cards online, finding ways to do things that we used to do together, but scheduling it in because it's very easy just to have the days blur together and rush by. And then, wait, two weeks went by and you know, I've just been looking at the screen all the time. So being intentional, but we're taught that. Be intentional. How do you think the Masonic fraternity can be of use or assistance to society in general and or more specifically the brothers within a lodge how certainly we talk some about the symbols but how does the the fact that people come together how will that help us after we come through the current social distancing and the, where we're at well, i've said it in in uh, other places I think, I think I've written it somewhere, but Freemasonry is not therapy. It wasn't designed to be that, and yet it, it can, when we choose to, it can act on us in transformative ways. That's the point. So I think you were asking, I, I thought where you were headed was, how can, how can people, uh, how can Masons do that now? And I was, I was going to say, you and Darren are doing that, you're, you're helping uh, by creating a new forum but, uh, Greg, would you restate the, the question was more about how do we do that when we come back together? Is that is that it? Yeah, so the local lodge, it's by the time we 
most likely get together, it'll be, you know, at least three months, maybe four, before that particular group to get, is together again in person. How, how will that, how can that help an individual? How can those, how can I be helpful as I'm one of those that show up and haven't seen somebody in three or four months and, and maybe haven't even spoken to them? It's kind of like, how do you re-enter society or the lodge world? Yeah. Well, because of my profession, the things that I'm going to recommend are going to sound like they are therapy. And I think in, in older iterations of culture, my role was localized. It was a religious leader. It might have been a town elder. It might have been a family matriarch or patriarch who held the role of guidance. And so people seek me out on an individual basis, sometimes couples, sometimes it's family. But I think the recommendation would be the same. And and I think it is a little challenging for us, for men particularly, because I think, when it may be for any person, I mean, I don't want to generalize like that, but I think for people, there's a kind of assumption that when we get together, we should just know how to take care of each other. And that if we have to talk about it or think it through that there's something wrong, and I would say that idea is wrong. So when we get, when we all have the chance to get back together, I think the thing that those of us who are willing, if you, for those of you who get to hear me say this and are willing, that when we get back together in Lodge is to take time very intentionally talk about what the experience of disconnect was like, what it was like to be isolated, what it is like to come back. Some people will They'll be nervous. Some people will be really excited. Some people will feel relief. And yet, as we all talk as a group and really attend to these ideas, I think we'll find a lot of similarities. We'll find more similarities than differences. And so it is a way of reacquainting reacquainting ourselves with each other and, and by extension, by mirroring to ourselves. That makes sense. As a current sitting master of a lodge, I like the idea of putting on the agenda an intentional time. And as I think through what you said, I think it would probably be almost the very, not the first thing, but the top two or three as we reopen that lodge and everybody's in their place to go around uh, and try to pull out of people what are you thinking? What did you experience? What can we help with? What what are your questions? And Darren and I have, we've been lucky. We've been in lodges where we've, we've had a lot of discussions on a lot of good topics. So it, I don't think for us it'll be that challenging to do it. But I had not thought of that perspective, which uh, I think is an excellent idea. And it's almost, it, that seems like a real quick way for people to sort of reenter and just hear what each other experienced. Because I, I will learn from others what you know how did you handle it what did you do what was your routine what did you miss uh, and in, in a way it'll sort of be exciting for me to to have that opportunity to uh, to learn from others one of the things i've really appreciated about being in lodge is, is the idea of mentorship and it's it's an old word now i think outside of trades is apprenticeship and so one of the ways uh, i'm not anywhere near being a master of a lodge and we, we could talk about that and I, I feel very fortunate in some ways to have my path slowed down because like my 
younger brother, whom I respect tremendously, we both have a tendency to jump in with both feet. And uh, I couldn't uh, this time around with masonry. And I feel lucky that I couldn't because I'm learning a lot about uh, potential errors I would have made right off the bat. But I think the idea of mentorship, that people in positions of leadership can model the quote-unquote way that we do things here. And maybe one of the ways that we do things that is caring of one another is to speak up, be vulnerable, which takes a tremendous amount of strength to share. I had trouble. This was not easy for me. And I can feel it even in my chest that it's hard to say this. I know that this is going out into the world. And so being the person in Lodge who can say, this is important, that knowing what your struggles were or your joys, the range, the full range, is better for all of us. Because when we can all do that, there's greater strength between us. Strength may be the wrong word. Closeness, resilience, and ultimately, trust. And we can trust that not only can others handle what we have to say, we can handle it. And we don't have to handle it alone, even if we're socially distancing, almost that isolated. Eric, coming back to normality, if you will, especially in a lodge setting, if we find ourselves encountering maybe a brother who used to be a very active member of the lodge, but because of this and maybe because of fear of, of the virus or, or fear of the unknown or, or what, whatever, they make a decision to kind of continue isolating themselves. We're taught that we need to whisper good counsel to our brothers, but that's usually when, you know, you see a brother maybe erring or not subduing his passions accordingly. But in a situation where you have a brother that was very active and suddenly is inactive, you have the desire to reach out to them. But how do you how do you broker that conversation? What are some things that that one can do? I mean, I think to start, you would say everybody has this fear. From there, what else could you suggest? That's a really it's a great question, Darren, and, and I'm I'm actually glad that you started answering the question before I did. Because in a lot of ways, in every way, you will know the kinds of phrases and words and approach that work for you. And you may have a really good idea of the kinds of things that will work for the brother in question because you know him. And so I might have some general ideas, but the point is not to take my, my ideas as the way, but to take the the essence of it. So we look for the symbolic meaning of things. You take the meaning, the idea, the concept behind what I'm saying, and you apply it. I think that's one of the things that this, this division between non-professional people and professional people. So I often, someone comes into my office and they say, yeah, my family said I needed to see a professional. And uh, well, at least this professional is a person first before I'm a professional. And being this kind of professional also means that I try to honor my humanness, my personness, and I use that, which is what I would encourage everyone to do, is that you and I might talk about how do you engage with someone, but ultimately, you have to do it. And so finding a way that's natural for you and for that person, that's what's going to make it work, not what I have to say. Well, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> I don't want to put myself out of business too fast. Actually, that is my goal to put myself out of business. But I keep going back to the, the point within a circle, and I, I think about it a lot, and Earlier, I had that sort of a level idea that I try to stay in the middle of it. Another way that I look at it is 
am I the point or am I the circle? Well, of course, I'm, maybe I'm both or neither. But, but if the brother in question is in the center and I'm trying to engage him, I'm going to move around and try and keep a pace that doesn't feel intrusive to him. And yet I'm going to be persistent like the sun, like the moon. And I'm going to reach out and I would encourage, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to find my words because if I use someone else's, it's going to sound fake or it will be. But sometimes it's helpful to have some phrases borrowed from somebody else, from a mentor, from a master. And so I start there and, I, and then I craft my own words. And so I'm going to reach out and say, hey, I've noticed you aren't coming back. You know, are you all right? And then I might get the answer that you've already predicted. Well, I'm worried. You know, I'm older or it might, whatever it is, I'm, maybe I'm more at risk. I'm worried about if I show up and people are still infected and they don't know it and I get it, I could get really sick and I, don't, I just don't want that. So I'm going to take a few more months. And at that point, I'm just putting myself in that person's shoes. And uh, at that point, I might ask, well, then how, how can we stay connected? Do you want me to call you after lodge? Do you want me to Zoom you in for part of dinner? But I think being being consistent, because the consistency lets the person know that this isn't just a one-time call. This is not me checking you off on the list. You know, I, I made all the calls. But I'm going to keep calling until I get to you. And then if you tell me to stop, I'll stop. But until that point, I'm going to keep offering myself. So I could go on, but um, maybe that's enough. You led right into my next question. And I was going to ask about resources. but you just described how someone can be a resource because I think the common question could be, well, I don't know what to do. If Darren is stressed, maybe my response is, well, I don't know what to do. But I think you just laid out a course of action. It just said, be yourself, take your time, pull out of that other person gently what they're thinking or what they're feeling, approach each situation with a, a a different path because we're all different individuals and uh, be adaptable and give them the time, the distance they will need, but yet be uh, gently persistent to not let them uh, slide away. And they'll probably come back if they want in their own time, but they hopefully will feel uh, that that helping hand is there, which it's like when you knock on the door for the first time in the lodge, you're there with a trusty brother. And perhaps there's no other better way to illustrate that than doing exactly that. And I'm smiling because uh, I mean, now one of the ways that I think I'll start some of these conversations when I get the list of, of people who haven't been coming regularly is I, I might even say, knock, knock, it's me. <laughs> I'm knocking on your door. Remember that? So humor sometimes for some people might work. But I think you're right. Uh, I think you, you summarized it really well. I think having the person tell us what it is that they need rather than assuming that having having the two of us co-create the meaning or the answer for whatever it is and that everyone any brother can be that resource it's i think this is where conversations in lodge about this kind of thing are really useful because unless we talk about it others might not know that it's even on their minds and so having this conversation in lodge when we all get back together hey mike hasn't shown up or whomever it might be Anybody have any ideas? Like, you know, how I'm worried about him. Is it okay if I call? And everyone's going to say, yeah, yeah, call him. So I think pooling our resources and talking with each other when we're not sure what to do, we have a lot of resources. I am grateful that the two, four of you 
by doing this um, because I get to hear other points of view, other ways of doing things, and it, it empowers me a little bit to try something new when I'm going to attempt to change or to step into a new role. It seems very uh, powerful, and uh, I just want to say I greatly appreciate you coming on here and spending the time. In a way, every one of these episodes, I learn something new, and, and it's just it's refreshing. You know, we, we crafted some of these questions in advance, and it's kind of interesting that we probably already had the answers to some of them even before you came, but I, I think these dialogues, if I if I gave people one takeaway, it would be to encourage the dialogues within Lodge, whether that's one-on-one or going around the Lodge, as we talked about earlier. That just seems uh, very powerful. And so I know I appreciate you coming on here. And the power of Freemasonry is we've got to meet you through the Midnight Freemasons and, of course, now here on this podcast. And uh, so as we close it out, what are your parting thoughts? Well, that that puts me on the spot. <laughs> when you were summarizing, I think it is that. It is, I think it is what you said, that having conversations that go below the surface, it's easy to get together and we can do the usual. In the way that, that Darren, you were talking about, that it becomes the mundane. You know, we, we get sort of lost in like, which day is it? And then I'm in front of the screen again. again. So I think it is being very specifically thoughtful about not, replicating the same dinner conversation. And and I think it has to come from the individual level. The master can offer the idea, but hopefully there's a few of the brethren in the room who are willing to take it up so that there's a critical mass who are willing to have a conversation that's just a little bit more. Maybe it's a little challenging. Maybe it goes a little deeper. Maybe it's a little more vulnerable, but it makes it more real because we could spend years just talking about Whatever it is we talk about, it's different in different places. Or we can say this week, let's, let's not do that. Let's really find out who we are and what we're about. And again, it sounds like group therapy. It's not. If, if everyone did this, we wouldn't need group therapy. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe a little bit, but, but I think that's one of the, the things that, that I would want. And I do want, and I do enjoy when I get together with brothers in or after Lodge is that when we talk about the work that we're doing, not in Lodge, yes, but how we translate that work into everyday relationships. What it means when I'm talking with the two of you, when we're hanging out, so to speak, online, or when we're hanging out after dinner in the Lodge room, how do we show our respect and our care for each other in a way that the other person notices? Eric, we we definitely appreciate you being on here and let me toss it over to Darren to, to close us out. Yeah, just to second Greg's sentiment, Eric, uh, I thank you for your time and your counsel tonight. We have kind of started, I think, uh, a friendship. And as, as Greg said, as you said earlier, the beauty of Freemasonry is really the different people that you get to encounter and connect with. And as I said earlier in a text, you know, I feel incredibly blessed to met you, to have uh, you as a brother and and to have you as I feel a friend. So I, I thank you very much for that. I thank you for coming on and I just I thank you for uh, your your wise words. I, I know that what you do probably can be very mentally taxing. I, I can't even uh, imagine some of the things or situations you've had to deal with, but the ability that you have to, I think, really 
take uh, a lot of our symbols and uh, I don't want to say craft them but because it's a terrible pun, but I'm almost drawn to that word. Craft them to use uh, not only for yourself, but I think you apply them probably in, in your work as well. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing as well. So just uh, once again, thank you, Eric, for coming on. And uh, we'll definitely have to have you again. I just want to say thank you, man. Oh, Darren, Greg, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening in to uh, an, another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Eric, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you.